happiness. Happiness is the result of what happens of an agreeable sort. Joy has its springs deep down inside. And that spring never runs dry no matter what happens. Only Jesus gives that joy. He had joy, singing its music within, even under the shadow of the cross. Today is the end. Nothing to do with the coronavirus. Today is the end. Today is the last message uh, in our study in Philippians. As we've been going through this, uh, uh, you guys remember that at the heart of our conversation has been the idea of joy, that throughout the book of Philippians, we are, we are brought to this idea, we're brought to this concept of joy in spite of. Joy not because of, but joy in spite of our circumstances. That's why so many times throughout the series I've, I've read that quote. Because joy is this specifically, uniquely Christian idea because it's uniquely rooted in something that's transcendent. Something that's beyond our circumstances. Something that's beyond our situation. Um, and that's why Philippians in itself is this really interesting book because as it was written, as Paul was, was dictating, as Paul was writing this to the church in, in, in Philippi, he was, he was in a prison. He was, he was buried beneath the ground. He was in like some of the worst situations you could find yourself in. And he has continually throughout said, I want you guys to find joy. In fact, if you remember, the start of this final chapter was, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. He's pushing us to this idea that we can find a joy in spite of our circumstances. And, and it's just been amazing because as we walk through this, it is this incredible place that we can find ourselves in when we set our hearts on Jesus and not on the things here. When our minds and our hearts and our desires are for Jesus, knowing Him, living in Him, being in Him, and not on the things of this world, we begin to see, that, that, that we begin to see Him as as our provider for our all and our all, for everything. And Paul, Paul models that in this book, right? As he's, as he's going through, he's saying, listen, my joy is in him. My joy is through him. My joy is by him. And that's exactly the idea. That's exactly the thought that he chooses to end his book with. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. He says in chapter 4, verse 13, I want to remind you what this is. We talked about this last week. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. What is that? That is his secret to contentment. A couple of verses earlier, he talked about this idea of having to live in contentment. We mentioned last week how, how that's really the platform to joy. That until we find ourselves content in our circumstances, in our situation, we'll never really truly find ourselves in joy. And he says the, the key to that is that I can do all things through him which strengthens me. That idea of through him who strengthens me is, is this, this all-encompassing concept. The, the Greek word there is translated through is this all-encompassing concept. He, he's saying, I can do all things in him, by him, for him, of him, through him. So no matter what circumstances I face, as long as I'm rooted in him, as long as I have him, I can find contentment. And from contentment, I can live in joy. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And the Philippians yourselves know that 
in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving, except you only. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. He's reiterating here something we've seen in the past, that, that the Philippians were supporters of the gospel mission. That from the, from the very beginning, from the very start of his idea, uh, the start of his, his, his relationship with them, his identification with them, they were there to minister alongside him, to give to what he was doing. He was talking about here, he says, he says, you know that when I left Macedonia, which is where Philippi is, if you remember the story of, of, of how the relationship between Paul began with the church in Philippi, you guys remember the story that we studied from the very beginning where he he wanted to go one place, and it said the Spirit stopped him from going there. And he was going to go another place, the Spirit stopped him from going there. And he had this vision of this man, of a Greek man in Macedonia. The entire relationship that Paul has with the church in Philippi was directed by the Holy Spirit. It was sent by the Holy Spirit. So he steps in this relationship with them. He builds this church up from nothing. If you guys remember, he, he showed up, and there, was like, there, wasn't, there wasn't even a synagogue to go to. So he goes down by the river, and he finds some devoted Jews, and, and that's, that's where he meets, meets Lydia. And he begins to share the gospel, and the church begins to grow out of this. And he has this deep relationship with them, and they partner with him in, in the work of the gospel from the very beginning. He says, when I left there, the only church that partnered with me was you, and you guys provided for me. And he's talking about how, this, how he has this heart for them, and they have this heart for him. And, and, and as he goes beyond this, we begin to see why that's important. Why their, their heart for the gospel, why their heart for the partnership of the gospel is important. He says, not that I, not that I, not that I seek the gift. Not that, I, not that I seek the gift you've given me. Not that, I'm, not that I'm looking at it for myself. But I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. The heart of, the heart of Paul is being revealed here. He's like, he's like guys... I love that you partner with me. I love that you give to this. I love that you're, 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 you're making an investment in the ministry. But it's not really about me getting that. It's not really about me receiving it. I, I, I'm taking care of it. He said, he said, he said uh, above, like we talked about last week, he's like, like God's got me. I, I'm content in him. He's the one I rely upon. He's like, so it's not really about the money. It, 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 it is about the fruit that comes because of your gift, it's to your credit. I want you to see what, I want you to see the, 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 the credit that they receive. I want you to see what they, what they get in return from this. You know what they get in return from this? The gospel taking root in people's hearts and lives. That's what he's focusing in on. He's like, he's like, he's saying to, he's saying to the people, he's like, the money's fine, the money's great, but what is awesome about this is the gospel goes forward and people get to know Jesus. When, when Ernie's up here and he's sharing earlier about the idea of, of us as a church being willing to give, at the heart of our giving, the, the heart of our generosity, is because we believe the gospel makes a difference in people's lives. We believe that the gospel changes people. We believe that the gospel, the, the gospel sets people free. We believe that marriages are healed through the gospel. We believe that the preaching of the gospel makes a difference in the world around us. And so for us, we say, that's worth it, man. This was, this was Paul's encouragement here. And I, and I, and I want to point that out because I think so often we, we focus, and, and, and even from, from pastoral levels and even, even 
in the things that we're reading and looking at, we focus in on saying, if you give, oh, you'll get back. The emphasis is always about what I get out of it. It's always the, it's all, it's always the, the, the supernatural investment plan, right? God will always give you back sevenfold, brother. If you give a dollar, he'll give you seven. If you give a hundred, he'll give you seven hundred. If you give a thousand, he'll give you seven thousand. And we always focus in on that as, as what our credit is for our giving. But he's saying the heart is that you're giving because you know the fruit that happens as a result of your giving. This is important because as we walk through this whole passage, we look at the message Paul is giving in the closing of this book, it gets to the heart of the individual. It gets to the heart of the Christian. It gets to the heart of the relationship we have with God that we, are, that we are living through, that we are living in. When we say that we can do all things through Christ, in Christ, by Christ, this gets to the heart of that relationship we have with Christ. He says, I am well supplied, having received from Ephroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice that is acceptable and pleasing to God. So remember the exchange that's taking place here. They cared about him. They showed it. They cared about the mission. They showed it all the time, sacrificially. They, and he's looking at this. I've received full payment. I got everything I need. But because you have got this heart, because you are willing to give, fruit is being born. And that spirit is the spirit that was captured in that church. And that's the spirit that should be captured in every church. And there's a reason for that. Paul lays it out. He shows us what the reason is. And my God will supply all your needs according to His riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. Would you join me uh, praying God's blessing over His Word this morning? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You that we have this opportunity to gather as a church and be challenged by your word. I pray that our hearts would be yielded to you, that each of us would look at this as an opportunity to be changed by you. That we wouldn't simply be here so that our ideas or our thoughts would be reinforced, but that our ideas and our thoughts would be brought into alignment with your truth. In your precious and holy name we pray. Amen. As I read this chapter, as I read this this portion of the chapter, I really think this is an, an appropriate conclusion to this book. It's the profession, this book is this profession of, of the joy that we have in Christ, the transcendent joy that we can find in Jesus Christ. That's the heart of the entire book. And as we read this, what we begin to see is that there, there is a, a nature of the church, there's a nature of the believer. There's a nature of this church and a, and a nature... Uh, of every, what every church should have that helps lead us to this place where we can live in joy. They, they're here and they, they have this, this concern for the mission. They have this concern for their brothers that's manifested in their sacrifice. And that sacrifice reveals a dependency. It reveals a faith in Jesus Christ. So as he's talking here, He's talking about a church that looks at things and says, listen, I want to lay this down for the gospel. I want to lay this down for my brother. I want to give. I want to have this heart 
that, that, that believes in what's taking place. And by faith, I'm going to give. That faith shows a church, shows a people that have a dependency in their God, on their God, living through their God. This is, this is the idea when we talk, when we talk about what, what Paul said earlier, where he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. The description here is this manifestation of that heart that says through him, in him, by him, for him. And that heart, that faith, launches us into a place where we can find contentment in everything we have because we have that contentment, we can live in joy, and that joy is always rooted in this idea that we truly, truly, truly live in him, by him, for him, through him. It's not a lip service. It's not, it's not oh yeah, I believe in this. And then we don't live that way. What he's focusing in on here, here's a bunch of people who understand what it is to have that strength in him, through him, by him, and for him. They have a concern for the mission of God. They have a concern for their brothers. And it manifested in sacrifice. And that sacrifice provides the, the platform for the realization of God's provision. See, this is the key to this. When we make the declaration, my God will supply all your needs, do you know what it followed? Their willingness. Their, their generosity. Their giving. There was an equation that plays out here which says, if you trust in me, if you put your faith in me, if you live in a way in which your faith is rooted in me, not just with words, but with giving, it provides the opportunity for God then to come in and say, I'm your provider, not other things. Dwight, Dwight Pentecost um, makes, that, makes that very declaration that the first truth of what we're saying here is, is the platform, the, the opportunity we have for the provision of God comes when we choose to live in faith in Christ. He says, my God shall supply all your need. This presupposes obedience. To claim the fulfillment of the promise without giving obedience to God is presumptuous. It shows a lack of faith. The Philippians were obedient. They were obedient to the gospel. They were obedient to the demands of love for the apostle. And they were obedient in their obligation as God's servants. Because of their obedience, the apostle can categorically say to them, I realize that in your poverty you gave, and that you are reduced to dire want, but my God shall supply your needs because they arose out of obedience. It is foolish to think you can squander what God has given you on yourself and then expect Him to step in and meet your need. Do you see the principle here? The principle is, is, is God, I'm going to partner with you. And when we choose to partner with Him, He partners with us. When we choose to live our lives selfishly and then turn to God and say, give me, give me more. I know, I know that your mission, I know that your heart, I know that your idea is, is the mission of the gospel, but I don't want to give to that. I want to give so that I can have more things. And then when I find myself in want, I want you to give to me. 
Do you understand the presumption of that? Do you, do you understand the selfishness of that? It, it's, not, it's not a tit for tat, but it is a manifestation of your faith in God and your affection for His church that you're on mission with Him. And He says, cool, we're on mission together. When you choose to make it about yourself, God's like, cool. Then, then you're on your own. When we show that, when we, emp- we empower God to be our supplier, when we, when, we, when we give and we say, I'm on mission with you, Lord, we empower Him to be that supplier. God, I trust you. And, and it's a real trust because it's not simply in words, but it's in action. I see the needs of others. I, I see the need of the gospel, and I'm going to give to it because I know that's your heart. I know that's your passion. And then we can sit back and we can say, God, you know my heart. You know the life I'm living. And so I trust you. And from that, Paul says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. The second th- truth that we need to see in the, in the declaration here is that it is a need-meeting arrangement. God shall supply all your needs. He doesn't say God shall supply all your wants. He doesn't say God will supply all your flippant desires. He doesn't say God will supply all your, 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 your red Italian sports cars. He says God will supply all your needs. The, the, the Greek here is literally necessity. The need-meeting principle is all throughout Scripture. Jesus talks of, of resting in Him because He will meet our needs. In Acts, the, the, it says that the church distributed as each had need. In Romans and, and Ephesians and Corinthians, Paul instructs the church to meet the needs of those around them. He instructs that again in Timothy and in Titus. James says, don't just, go, just don't go in peace without meeting your brother's need. And in 1 John we read, but if anyone has the world's goods and sees his brother in need, yet closes his heart to him, how does God's love abide in him? The financial posture of the church, the financial posture of the church is neither prosperity or poverty, but need meeting. The, the financial understanding we have between God and between each other is, that, is, is not like God wants us to always be prosperous or God wants us to live in poverty. He wants our needs to be met and he wants us to look around and say, how can I meet the needs of others? There's a need for the gospel, how can I meet it? There's a, there's a need for a brother, how can I meet it? There's a need for someone else, how can I meet it? And, when we can, and in that, when our mindset is that, when our approach is that, we can then turn to God and we can say, God, I have needs that I need you to meet. One of the, one of the, one of the most important questions we need to be able to um, answer, and it's one that, that we struggle with all the time, is need versus want. How many of you have ever had, a, ever had a kid who really needed something and you knew they really didn't? And that's not a, that's not a, that's not a problem. That's not, a, that, that's not an issue that only takes place in the lives of children with parents. It's something that takes place in our own lives all the time, right? So often we look at our lives and we're like, I need that. 
Do we really? And when we don't get that and we don't receive that, a lot of times people get upset with God and say, God, why do they get that and I don't? Why do somebody have, why somebody have that and I don't? God, why don't you provide that for me? So we see in this that, there, that, that God will supply all your needs. And, and so, so the understanding is it's a need meeting arrangement. But for me, probably one of the most important ideas in that phrase is tied to the idea that he says, my God will supply all your needs. My God will supply all your needs. I want you to think about that for a moment. God will supply all your needs. What does all mean? All means all, doesn't it? God will supply all your needs. And who is the provider of those needs? God. God will supply all your needs. Paul could have relegated his declaration to to this and he could have said, because of your giving to me, because of your your financial support, because you were obedient in this, my God will repay financially for all your generosity. But his declaration here wasn't just simply about a financial idea. He he uses the idea that God is our all provider. That he is our all need meter. That as we give, if we as a heart that is humble to him, as we are giving of generosity, in which we are, we are demonstrating our faith in him, God steps in and he provides all our needs. He takes care of all our needs when we practice a dependency on him. All of who you are, he is the provider of the physical. He is the provider of the emotional. He is the provider of the spiritual. The totality of who you are in your existence, he is the need meter. He meets our physical needs. Often the meaning of our physical financial needs is what we most focus on when we look at this passage. And, and I think that is appropriate when you look at the context of the verse. But he goes beyond that too. He starts with this idea that yes, he'll meet your financial needs. God does promise throughout the scriptures the willingness to practice provision in the lives of those who trust in him. Jesus opens up this truth in Matthew chapter 6 where he says, you cannot serve God in money. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet their heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? Then he says in verse 31, Therefore do not be anxious anxious saying, What shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. He starts that whole discourse. He starts that whole discourse with, don't love money. Don't love money. You can't serve money and God. You can't have two masters. Don't serve money. Don't love money. Don't pursue money. And why does he say that? Because my God will supply all your needs. He says you can can rest in a place where you don't have to pursue those things. That doesn't have to be the important thing in your life. Because God will supply all your needs. 
he talks specifically about a financial provision of the needs that we have. And it's, it's fascinating because, again, he reiterates the need meeting idea here, right? He says food and clothes and house. I've always, I've always, it's always been interesting to me that I read that and I never see him mention my Italian sports car. It's need meeting. He establishes that same idea there. In Hebrews chapter 13, we see this truth reiterated. Keep your life free from love of money and be content with what you have. For he said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. What was the key again to not loving money, to not serving money? God's there. He's provider. When we trust in him as our provider, that's when we're allowed to release the greed. That's when we're allowed to release the faith in money. That's when we're allowed to release the love of money. It comes because we trust in him as provider. A faith that practices a faith in God. And I say again, practices, not talks about, but practices. By, by not making an idol of money or prosperity or security, by giving generously to be instruments of God's need-meeting economy, that believer is then able to rest in following the leading of the Holy Spirit even when it may not be financially advantageous to them. They'll say, you know what? My provider is God. Is there a need for the, is there a need for the mission of the gospel here? I'll give, I'll give, not just out of, not just out of, out of, out of, out of the excess I have, but I'm even willing to give to, to, till it hurts because I know that he's my provider and not my bank account. When I see a brother or a sister who is struggling or is hurting, I can say, you know what, I can give even, I'm willing to give even beyond what's comfortable for me. Because my provision is not my job, my provider is my God. I'll never forget that. I'll never forget the conversation I had with a buddy of mine when I found myself in a situation where I had a, basically a newborn, a newborn baby boy, I was married, and I found myself without a job. Uh, a situation I had never anticipated happening in a million years. And I remember sitting in my, I remember sitting in my, the, my mom's guest bedroom in Germantown, going, how am I going to do this? How am I going to provide for my family? How am I going to take care of my family? I got a call from a buddy of mine who was a pastor up in Minnesota. And he's like, Tommy, how are you doing? Not great. And I was explaining it to him, the situation. This is what he said to me. He said to me, God has always been your provider. He said, somebody else may be signing the checks, but God has always been your provider, and God will always be your provider. That changes your perspective completely in that moment. My, my paycheck wasn't my provision. My job wasn't my provision. My provision was Jesus Christ. And so when we position ourselves in a place in which we live that way, there is a freedom that comes that says, I can be generous. I can be generous to the gospel. I can be generous to my brothers. I can be a need meter because he is my provider. I genuinely believe that he provides. I genuinely believe that when we sit in faith, when we live in faith, when we, when we, when we profess faith, we, we need to answer the need because he will answer our need. I've never seen the righteous forsaken and God's seed begging for bread. One of the verses out of the Old Testament that I love to concentrate on. 
I found myself in situations where I was trying to live in faith through Jesus Christ, and I've clung to that knowing that he was going to be my provider. It was going to be okay because my God knew my need. I've shared the story multiple times in this congregation of the starting of this church and how often in the, in the beginning when, when we had taken everything we had and we'd given it into the church and given it to the start of the church and we'd find ourselves in a situation where at the end of the month we couldn't pay our rent. And I, and I would cry and I would, I would lament and I'd be like, God, how can you be doing this to me? God, how can you put it in this situation? You know what we're here for. And rent, rent due would come and we were like $150 shy of what we needed. And two days after the rent was due, I went down to the box and I opened up the box and there was a check that we got from the government for like $157, $7 more than what we needed. And the exact same thing happened the following month where we were short, at that time we were short like, we were short like $480 or something like that. Went down to the box and there was, they opened up, opened up the mail and there was a check in a, in a, in a card from a friend of ours that said, God just moved in my heart to send you this check for $500. Three straight months, God did that. And three straight months, God provided a check that was within 15 to $20 of exactly what we needed. My God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. And as I said, it doesn't just land solely in the, in the, in the arena of the financial, but my God will supply all your needs. He will meet not just our financial needs, but he meets our emotional needs. And that's one of the things that leaps out at me when I look at the word of God that is so incredible. How many of you guys have noticed that we're emotional beings? How many of you guys have somebody in your life that reminds you on a regular basis that we are emotional beings? Did you know God made us as emotional beings and as a result, he understands our emotional needs? And because of that, he's able to meet them? It, it, it is, it is mind-blowing to me. In fact, when I see the consistent, the consistent promises and the verses that are directed at our, our very real, very human emotional needs, I, I, am, I am amazed at how well he knows us. Heck, the passage just a few verses before, right here in, 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 in Philippians chapter 4, says this, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Do you see what that is? Do you see what he's, he's speaking to? This is, this is the promise of God to meet your emotional needs. Guarding your hearts, guard, guarding your minds. The, 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 the provision of guarding our emotional well-being is born out of a central faith in Jesus Christ. It, 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 the, the declaration there is, guys, don't be anxious for anything, but give everything to Him. Pray to Him. And, and when you do that, He'll take away the anxiousness. He'll, 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 he, he will be the one who guards your heart and guards your minds, that provides that, that emotional health, that emotional well-being. And, and this isn't an isolated idea throughout Scripture. The Word of God speaks directly to the, need, the emotional needs of individuals and those who follow Christ all the time. And it's really interesting because when you look at the definition of emotional needs, this is what you see. You look it up and you say, what, is, what, is, what are emotional needs for a human being? 
and described like this, a psychologic or mental requirement of intrapsychic origin that usually centers on such basic feelings as love, fear, sorrow, anxiety, and depression, and involves the understanding, empathy, and support of another. When I read this definition, when I, when, when I, when I, when I came to this definition and looked at it, I was like, I was like yeah, God gets it. God knows us. God speaks to each one of those levels that, that secular definitions have for emotional needs. Our emotional need centers on feelings of love, fear, sorrow, anxiety, and depression. Does the Bible give us answers to those needs? Does the, the gospel provide answers to those questions? Does the Bible teach us the answer to love? Doesn't it say love is patient? Love is kind. Love is long-suffering. Doesn't the Bible explain to us, even just describe for us what love truly is and how we can live in that love? Does, does the gospel teach us what the answer to love is? For God so loved the world. Does it tell us that, that he loved us first so we can love others? Does the Bible teach us how to, how to deal with fear? Does the gospel address fear? He has not given us a spirit of fear, but one of a sound mind. It says perfect love casts out fear. And, and that passage is so amazing because it, direct, it speaks directly to the idea of rejection and punishment. And he says, listen, he loves you so much. That you don't have to fear punishment. You don't have to fear rejection. Does the Bible teach us about sorrow? Blessed are they who mourn. We do not mourn as those who are without belief or without faith. How about anxiety? Cast all your cares on him. For he cares for you. The Bible addressed depression. Why so downcast, O oh my soul? Put your trust in God. The declaration of Jesus Christ is, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. The reason that we as Christians still are gripped at times by things like fear and sorrow and anxiety and depression is because we have not allowed the gospel to be fully realized in our circumstances and that gospel is embodied in Jesus Christ. We find our hope in Him. Remember what he says, I can do all things through Him, in Him, by Him, for Him, who strengthens me. Look again at the definition I just read for you. Psychologic or mental requirement of intrapsychic origin that usually centers on basic feelings as love, fear, sorrow, anxiety, and depression. Now hear this. And involves the understanding, empathy, and support of another. Where do we, in our lives, find the support of another? Does the gospel speak to that? Does the gospel tell us where we find that? This is, this is where you have to realize 
the fullness of the gospel as the fullness of, the, of our answer to this need. The understanding and the empathy and the support of another is Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Our God has supplied all our emotional needs in Christ Jesus. And the reason that we struggle is because we're not fully exercising our faith in Him, through Him, by Him. This thing we have to understand as followers of Jesus Christ. We've got to stop looking to and trusting in other people to be the end-all and the be-all of our emotional well-being. And I want you to hear me on this. Relationships are God-given. They are God-ordained. They are God-inspired. The church is a relational institution established by God for the purpose of embodying the gospel. Marriages are established by God for the purpose of embodying the gospel. Families are established by God for the purpose of embodying the gospel. But when we put our expectation for our emotional well-being in these relationships, we will not find it there. We put our faith in whether or not our boyfriend treats us well enough. We put our faith in whether or not our wives give us enough support. We put our faith in whether or not the church does it just the right way to make me feel good about myself. And when it doesn't happen, what happens? We get fearful. We have anxiety. We get depressed. Jesus Christ is consistent and constant. Jesus Christ is the one we put our hope in. Anytime we put our hope in, 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 in broken men and broken women and broken people who themselves are trying to be unbroken, we're going to be let down. But my God will supply all my needs according to his riches and glory. The gospel of Jesus Christ, we live in him and through him and by him. This idea is no different than the wrong dependency on finances or job for your financial provision. God has supplied all your needs according to his riches and glory. Finally, what I see really clearly in Scripture is ultimately he meets our, our spiritual needs. You've got to see the complete provision, spiritual provision given through Jesus Christ. Colossians says this, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him who is the head of all rule and authority. And then it jumps down to 13 and says, And you who were dead in your trespasses, the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of death that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. There is in this declaration the totality 
of the spiritual work of Christ provided in Him, complete in Him, totally in Him. The work of the cross and the work of Christ did it for us. I don't have to be good enough. He was good enough. I don't have to be righteous enough. He was righteous enough. He took all of my sin and nailed it to the cross, and as I put my faith in Him, He becomes my totality. He becomes my everything. We are not dependent on anyone or anything else for our spiritual completion. We're not even dependent upon ourselves. He is the one who does it. That declaration is, and you have been filled in Him. The word translated there as filled is pleroma. And the definition says this, that which fills, that which is brought to fullness or completion, that which makes something full or complete, the sum total, even superabundance, the full measure, the fulfillment, the state of being full. What did Jesus do? It all. Jesus provided it all. He completed it. Unfortunately, so often we slide into idolatry of legalism. We turn to the habit of self-righteousness. And quite often that causes us to live in the insecurity of insufficiency. He did it. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. My God will supply all your needs. When we are set free, we are free indeed. It says He washes us whiter than snow. He will supply all your needs, physical, emotional, and spiritual, if you exercise your faith in Him. I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things in, by, for, of, through Him. The provision that fuels our contentment, that causes us to live in joy, is found in Jesus Christ. He will supply all your needs. He will supply all your needs. As you're sitting here this morning, if you're living in a place of insufficiency, if you're living in a place where you do not feel as though your needs are being met, the question I would have for you is are you living a faith that activates His provision? Are you living in a way in which He is your hope, He is your life, He is your everything, and you are giving of yourself for His glory and for His purposes so that He can fulfill you, that He can provide for you? Is your faith in your checking account? Is your faith in your job? Is your faith in your husband? Is your faith in your wife? Is your faith in your children? Or do you live in a place where you allow Him to supply all your needs according to His riches? Heavenly Father, I pray that the truth of Your Word 